Welcome to the podcast, Bringing Truth to Life, where we talk about what the scriptures say that can help you get unstuck from the thorny issues of life and encourage you to live the life you've been wanting to live with Christ. Our speaker today is Henry Clay. We are in a series called Passing the Baton, and we'll be looking at the basics of one-to-one discipleship and how to get started on a new adventure of helping younger believers grow up in their faith. You'll never be the same. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for your love for us. And we bow before you tonight to tell you we're delighted you found us, captured us, and have held us, even as we have come and gone at times, and our love has waxed and waned. Thank you for all that you do for us and the people you bring into our lives to love us and lead us and help us to be a good help to the next generation as well. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we're on the third week of passing the baton. I still have my baton. But I brought a visual aid tonight. The the title of tonight's message is The Big Picture. The Big Picture, sort of the overview of passing the baton. And it says map of Buenos Aires. I couldn't find my map of Buenos Aires, but I got so many maps. Uh, This is a map of San Jose, Costa Rica, which is not nearly as big as Buenos Aires, but it's still very handy. We used to live over in Zapote, and if, uh, which is over there by the president's house over here, next to a cucumber field. <laughs> and, uh, and we would sometimes go to this big park over here. But a map is very helpful to figure out where is that park and how do you get there from here and things like that. So that's kind of what we're going to look at, try to look at tonight, is what's the big picture when you talk about passing the baton in terms of your faith. How is the next generation going to know if somebody doesn't tell them? And there's a lot of people out there, and we need everybody to be prepared to give an answer for the hope that's in them, and also be prepared to be helpful to somebody that's uh, responded to Christ. But then has the question, well, what do I do now? I said, sorry, I'm busy. You know, no, no, we, we need to be available to help them. We need to pass the baton on to them. So the first thing I want to talk to you tonight is the key principle in the process. The key principle in the process. And we've got a verse here, Mark 3, 14 and 15. Let me read that, and then we'll take a look at it. It says, He, Jesus, appointed twelve that they might be with him and that he might send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons. So I want you to take your pen and mark the however many reasons it gives there that Jesus appointed twelve. Why did he? What does it say about why did he pick these guys out of the multitude? So take a minute. You can number them. One, two, three. However. All right. What'd you come up with? Why did he appoint twelve? First, that that they might be with him. That he might send them out to preach and have authority to cast out demons. Wow, that's a job description, isn't it? (laughs) That's like kind of quick, you know. (laughs) That sounds like sort of like uh, arithmetic, multiplication, calculus. (laughs) But anyway, with very little uh, training, that's what they went out doing. Interesting, isn't it? Uh, What I want us to focus on here is the very first thing he did with them was he appointed them that they might be with him. His first interest wasn't to send them out, get them a job, get them busy, get them talking, get them touching lives, as important as that would be, as appropriate as it would be later on. But the very first thing was that they might be with him. The first thing also wasn't that they could learn a lot of things and study a lot of the Torah. We notice that it's relational, so if you want to put in that line there, the with him principle. The with him principle. And when we talk about passing the baton, we are not talking about handing somebody an encyclopedia, a Bible dictionary, uh, a set of notes or something. You're giving them the gift of yourself and the Jesus that lives in you. And you may not have a very high opinion of that because you know so well all of your flaws and everything. But frankly, you may be the best they get. That's one thing about parents. They may not have been the best parents, but they were your only parents, and no one could replace them. 
And you may very well be that person for some uh, for someone someday. And that's why you need to be the best you can be. I mean, it may not be much, but yeah, just like with your with your child, with your son, with your daughter, it's not a time to say, well. This really isn't for me. You know, you've got your daughter or your son there, so I'm checking out. No, you can't check out. They're always going to be your child, and I'm sorry, but you're just going to have to make the best of this. Get a book, ask some questions, Google it, you know, find, find out what you need to find out. Do the best you can. You're going to make lots of mistakes, but you're the best they've got, and you've got to do the best you can at it. And with the with him principle, when we talk about passing the baton, what we need to highlight is it's mostly uh, centered in a relationship of that person with you and both of you with, with Jesus Christ. And where you kind of take them along with you in different settings, one thing might be just to, why don't we meet together? Have you ever done anything? Do you know what a quiet time is or devotional or anything? That don't have a clue. I remember the first time I heard about a quiet time, they said it's the morning watch. The morning watch, you know, is that, what are you talking about? It's a military term, you know, when in the middle of the night when nobody wants to be up at five, but they also don't want to get attacked. They get some guy, wake up, give him coffee. You're on the morning watch. Uh, well, I didn't know what the morning watch was or a quiet time. And, and to have somebody that would say, well, why don't we do it together? And like a picture is worth a thousand words. An experience is worth a thousand words. And so let's, why don't we meet on a Saturday morning, you and me, at what would be a good time? You want to come over to, come over to my house at 8 o'clock, and we're just going to meet with God together. And you open your Bible, read, talk about what you get out of that, this is what I got, and then we'll, we'll pray about that. And that's it. And they said, oh, is that what that is? Yeah, that's what that is. Well, that wasn't. I think I could do that. I know you could do it. It's that with him or with her principle where you pass on the different things about the Christian life. That's one of the best ways to help anybody learn how to share their faith is just them see you do it one time. And uh, that's how I first learned how to share my faith. We, I went to Tuesday night evangelism with the navigators and at the dormitories at Georgia Tech. And we'd meet for about 10 minutes and then they'd pair us up and send us out to the wolves. You know, door to door, knocking on the door. Do y'all want to talk about Jesus Christ? You know, and uh, I was terrified, petrified. You know, I wasn't even a good in sports. I wasn't any good because I was just, you know, afraid of getting hurt. So certainly going out on evangelism, I mean, that's really was not my idea of fun. And so I'd go with this other guy that was huge, and he was an ex-Marine and had hair all over and a big beard and looked like a bouncer. And as long as I was with him, I was very confident <laughs> because he would lead the way. And But I'd get to listen in and how he would talk and what he would say. And it's not that he had all the answers, but he had a whole lot more than I did. And he also had faith and he had courage. And all those things are contagious. It's the with him principle. What, whenever you can, do things with people. So many people these days live their lives in isolation. I've got to run and go do this. I've got to go do that. We have lots of things we've got to go do. Learn to think of ways where you can take people with you. In the family, think of times when you can take your children with you. I remember taking Walt one time on hospital visitation with me. And I'll never forget how delighted some of those people were to see him. I'm just an old guy. They expect i got to go anyway. They pay me to go, you know. Well, Walt comes in, a young face, and not a family. You know, normally family would, but not very often either sometimes, uh, the young ones. And he comes in, and it was like it lit up the whole room. And it also had an impact on him to see what it's like to visit the hospitals and stuff like that. Learning to take people with you. And the nice thing about the with him principle is, you weave them in to what you're already doing. It's not necessarily that you have to free up this huge chunk of time to say, well, now let's see, well, where can I get an extra so much time so that I can be with this person? No, just take them with you. Take them with you. You're going to go rake somebody's yard. You're going to uh, go babysit. Take somebody with you. The other day I was uh, having to tear out some of my bathroom because we're redoing it. And so I called up one of my USC student friends and said, hey, want to have some fun? <laughs> and he came over and we had the with him principle with the demolition of the bathroom. But it's great fellowship. We put on some praise music and just had a good time. 
To do that, you need to have a heart for people. Jesus had a heart for people. He would just walk along, and, and he cared about the people around him. That's one of the things about passing the baton. You've, you need to ask God, God, will you give me a heart for people that I really care that other, that newer Christians feel good about their Christian life and how they're doing and are excited and can share that with others. I want them to, I want them to succeed and pick them up when they're down. Jesus loved helping and serving and giving himself away. And that, so that's the, what I would say if I we could only pick one thing. Before you think in terms of pe- sending people out to do anything, have a quiet time, preach, anything, think about that principle. He chose 12 that they might be with him. I had a friend in Savannah. She's passed away now, but she was in her last year of life, and she lived in, didn't have any money, had never gotten married. Sweet lady, loved the Lord. And I guess she was in her 80s and had had uh, both hips replaced and but really couldn't walk without going very, very slowly and with the walker. And she said, I'm discipling five girls. It's the, the, the girls that would take turns coming to get her to go help her shop or do anything because she couldn't do anything. But her perspective on her life at that point was, I'm working on five girls right now, you know, and each one has a different set of needs and problems and I'm kind of focusing on each one. Six months later, she passed on to be with the Lord. I tell you what, that's how I want to go. Well, we're going to pass the baton. I'm going to time it. Let's see. I want it to go row by row, so you're going to have to do a little bit of stretching. And don't pass it yet. I'm going to time it. So, And we'll get all the way to the back, and the last person bring it to me. On your mark, get set, go. All the way down, across the aisle. Quick, got to go a little quicker than that. We're not... <laughs> Okay, keep it going, keep it going. Don't hit anybody, don't hit anybody. That's good. Now, everybody cheer them on. Come on, you can do it. Yes, yes, here it goes. Come on, come on. We're at 17 seconds, 18, 20. Come on, get the last person be ready now for the, bring it in. It's got to be on the desk, on the desk right here. Here we go. Right here, right here on the desk. 33 seconds. Now, I wonder, as you pass that around, did any of you pass that out of arrogance? You say, I am just such a wonderful person, I'm going to pass the baton. (laughs) No. You didn't have time to think about that. They handed it to you, you know, you don't want everybody to boo you, you know, you don't want to drop it. Why do we think that passing on Christianity has to be something so intellectual, and that it's a sign, some sign of arrogance, like you, you are somebody or know something. You're just doing what you were made to do. In the same way that you uh, were made to have children, either physically, some people that, that don't get married, God makes a bigger area in their life where they can impact many, many lives as surrogate children. My sister uh, is a life coach and a tutor. And wonderful hearing the stories of the lives that she touches and can touch because of the circumstances God has put her in. And she had this little four-year-old boy who hated to read and had so many troubles, but he told his parents to bring, bring him over in the middle of the summer. It was not the normal time. And he comes in, walks over, and hugs my sister around the knees like this, and then steps back. He calls her Miss Margaret. And he says, let's read. <laughs> Giving your life away. Giving your life away. Well, let's talk about network of relationships. Because this big, this uh, idea of passing the baton is not one-dimensional. It's not you have now become the professor and you are ready to teach. It's that we're always uh, learning and growing. We're always in a network of relationships. The thing is, in order to help, to be of a help to others, you have to hang in there. I mean, what good is a lifeguard who swims out and he's drowning? Get another job. Run a bowling alley or something. Don't come out here. You're an anchor, not a buoy. And uh, you have to hang in there. And in order to do that, since we have our ups and downs, we need to be in a good web of relationships in the body of Christ. Ecclesiastes, what is it, 4 says, two are better than one, where they have good return for their labor. And if one falls, how does it go? The other will lift him up. That web of relationships that's supporting you. If you want to jot that down, Ecclesiastes 4, 9, and 10. 
And in our society, people get to a place where they feel very isolated. That's why you have to be intentional about this. This, this is, these sort of things sort of float off if you don't work on them. And the enemy's always trying to chop up the body of Christ. If you took the strongest current heavyweight champion and you cut him in about four pieces and put him on a scale before and after, same weight, same mass, everything's the same. And yet in one case, he could do a lot of damage and in the other, he couldn't do a thing. Don't you see why Satan wants to divide up the body of Christ? Even if, if the same number of Christians, they, they don't have their strength if they're not together in the body of Christ. He wants to divide and conquer. So what kind of relationships do we need to seek to have and develop and maintain in our lives? The first one is a, a Barnabas relationship. And those are the peer relationships of people that are not not above us, below us in any kind of a teaching capacity. It's you know, I mean, you're never exactly equal with anybody. You know, there's sometimes things they do for you. But it's more of a peer relationship. And the the great thing about the Barnabas relationships, and I call it Barnabas because Barnabas was the traveling companion of Saul, uh, and who was later named Paul. But you can look in the book of Acts, and it's you see an illustration of these three different kind of relationships we're going to talk about. So this is a Barnabas relationship, in quotes, where it's somebody that's, a companion, there's someone, it's a friend, a Christian friend, and not just one. I mean, you want to, uh, in all of these, it's a multiple sort of an idea, ideally. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but in humility consider others better than yourselves. Each of you should look not only to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. And there are tons of, that's a good Bible study to do sometimes, uh, the one another commands. Love one another, serve one another, forgive one another, bear with one another. And that's these Barnabas relationships that's your, your golden opportunity to suffer through all of that. Because the closer you are around people, the more things come up, don't they? <laughs> it's a great opportunity for uh, sharing needs, picking one another up. For it challenges us to also to deal with the spirit that's in us that tends to compare and compete. Some have it more strongly than others. Some of us are just harmonious type of people, you know, we're sort of soft and fuzzy and mushy, and and so we're just want everybody to be happy. And so we're not trying to say, well, am, am, am I ahead or, or, or are you ahead of me? And if you're ahead of me, well, I got to figure out how to get, uh, you know, in every converting every situation into who's winning. Uh, so, some people don't even think that way. They're just a harmony type, type people. But other people, it's, it's, uh, they really can't quit sizing everything up and then sizing themselves up and making always the wrong conclusions. If you're, if you're above, then you're proud. If you're below, you're depressed. It's, it's just a bad thing. But it's those Barnabas relationships that gives you a chance to work on that and say, God, help me to be more like Jesus Christ. Help me to be a servant. Help me to apply this verse. Consider others as better than, than me and honor them and serve them. And it's these peer relationships, these Barnabas relationships, that actually you spend the most time with these people. You may have someone that's a Paul in your life or several people that are a help to you in different ways, but you usually don't see that much of them because they're, they're kind of busy. And you may be helping somebody, but it also may not be somebody you see all that often. It's often these, these peer friendships that you do a lot of stuff together. And it's, it's wonderful. I've got several people in my life like that. And I wonder who you would put in that category for your life. Barnabas. Second uh, set of relationships, it would be what we're going to call a Paul relationship. Might be several people. And that's somebody that helps you to learn and grow. Somebody that God has given you that you think can help you, is ahead of you in some things. You never get to the point where you don't need help and input. The whole point about passing the baton isn't that you now don't receive the baton anymore. You're still, you're still, you're getting these things, you know, and you're just passing them on uh, through your whole life. The thing is, as you get older, it's harder to come up with Paul's because people die, they leave the Lord, they, you know, it's, uh, 
It's, it's easier in the, at the outset of your Christian life to find plenty of people ahead of you. Everybody's ahead of you. You just got here. But 20, 30, 40 years later, what can also help is books. Because many Pauls that have passed on, though they are dead, yet they speak through their books. Biographies, Hudson Taylor. I'm reading and marking in uh, books by Charles Haddon Spurgeon, A.W. Tozier, E.M. Bounds, and they're my, my mentors through the printed page. Philippians 4.9, listen to what Paul says. The things you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace shall be with you. You just do everything you saw me do and God's going to be with you. That's interesting. But Paul was just doing the things that God had given him, that others had given him. It wasn't Paul. It's just this is the way. This is the good path. I'm memorizing a verse from Jeremiah 6.16. Let's see if I can come up with it. Thus says the Lord, Stand by the ways and see and ask for the ancient paths where the good way is and walk in it, and you shall find rest for your souls. But they said, we will not walk in it. But there's that those ancient paths that we seek to walk in and then we seek to interest our, our children, our family, our friends, the people that God gives us to walk in that path as well. Proverbs 27.17 says, Iron sharpens iron, so one man sharpens another. And that's the idea of the effect that we have on one another. That's the way they would uh, maybe sharpen an instrument or a weapon. They would you know, have an iron that they would rub it on like that and, and, and put the edge back on it. And in the same way as we have that contact, if it, do you have anybody in your life that challenges you? I was listening to this recorded message of a, the wife of Dawson Trotman, and I was just blown away. I mean, I felt so unspiritual uh, after some of the things they said. He, she said he, he would wake up, and he, he, he was capable of waking up at any point in the night and deciding they needed to pray. So he'd wake her up. I mean, I'm not saying that's necessarily a good idea, but just that this one, <laughs> and don't, I'm not going to do it, but uh, I'm just saying this heart for God. The night before, he drowned saving someone else's life in a lake, in Scroon Lake up in New York. She said, it just happened to be that night, we stayed up all night praying and reading the Bible. Not because he was planning on dying or anything, but I thought, I'm slipping. I, I, I need to get back to really, really loving God and, and I need people in my life that challenge me to not settle for religion. Don't settle for anything less than really, really knowing the living God and drawing near to Him. And having people that are like a Paul in your life, even if you don't, as you get older, you might not even see them that often. Paul Stanley is such a blessing to me. And I only see him maybe once a year or once every other year. But the times we're together, I chew on that for a whole year. Wonderful. There's also the important aspect in terms of a relationship with Paul of being under authority. Would, do you ever let anybody tell you what to do? We, we tend to be independent, resentful of anybody even implying that we should do anything. Who do you think you are? We're Americans. You know, we celebrate our independence on the 4th of July. We're all independent. But this idea of we can honor God by being under authority that he puts in our life. And when, when for a period of time, particularly in the outset of your Christian life, when, if you feel like this, God's given me this person to help me. And if they say, well, why don't we study the book of Romans? I'm going to say, sure. <laughs> I'm not going to always be the one that says, well, why can't we study James? I said, you know, I'll just try to be malleable a little bit more than I normally am, not be so contrary. And there are things uh, that can happen in, in church life. You're serving in an area, and the person says, well, would you do this? You think, well, I'm, that's really for a person of lower rank than me. But be, be willing to, be, to come under authority in your marriage, uh, wives with your husbands, husbands with pastor. With, it's something that God has set up for our blessing. And you know, when it, when it comes up, mostly 
obviously, is whenever your authority tells you to ask you to do something that you don't want to do. It's not sin. And it's perfectly, it's not totally unreasonable. You just don't want to do it. Or you don't want to do it right now or something like that. But that's where uh, God's giving us often an opportunity to humble ourselves and to respond, not because of this person, but because of him. Because of what rises up in me, I say, I, I, I need to grow a little bit more. I wonder who you would say is your Paul or Paul's in your life right now. Third relationship is the Timothy relationship, and that's the people that you may be helping and encouraging in their walk with the Lord. And we have that term because Paul did that with Timothy. He was a young Christian. In 2 Timothy 2.2, says, And the things you have heard from me say in the presence of many witnesses, and trust these to reliable men who will also be qualified to teach others. Four generations, Paul helping Timothy. He says, Timothy, this isn't to stop with you. This isn't a dead-end street. He says, I want you to entrust this to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. What a wonderful thing to just see it rippling down through generations. We're reaching the next generation, helping someone maybe not make all the same mistakes that you made in your Christian life. And I've got several people, also names that come to my mind in this area. I wonder who you would say, if you, if you feel like you've ever had somebody like that, that has been a Timothy to you. Not that you've done everything for them, that you've maybe led them to Christ, and now they're a missionary, and you everything they got, they got from you. Now, I'm not saying that. Uh, I don't think I've got anybody like that either. But there are some people that kind of stick out, that you had more time with, that took... a have a bigger place in your heart in terms of how you love them. Maybe maybe they don't even feel that it was that big of a deal, but it was a big deal to you and you're still praying for them. We'll look at more of that. But I want you to turn your page over just for a second now, and I want you to try to write down, just for you, not going to share, but just for you, who you would say are your Paul's, Barnabas, and Timothy. You can just put PBT or something and see if you have any names to put by any of those three categories of relationships. Take a moment just to do that right now. Start with the present and work your way back. And if you're a little bit more new to the church, you might include other other categories that could be a could have been a very special teacher, a relative that was a mentor to you. You know, maybe not so much in Christian things, but in life. Well good. You could work on that some more later if you want. But it's good to think Try to think specifically and think, and if you find a hole, because that's one of the, that's sort of an assessment. It says, well, I have plenty under these two, or I have a lot under this one, but hey, <laughs> I found a hole. <laughs> There's nothing under these other categories. And just begin to ask God, Lord, help me to understand that kind of relationship and lead me if that's something you'd like to do in my life. I'd like to have a stronger network of relationships. I, I always want to have some people that I look up to that I think can help me. That's one of the things I often pray when I move into a new city. Lord, show me who are the people here that really, really love you and that if I get any time with them, when I walk away from that time, I'll love you more. So even if they don't know whether or not that they're mentoring me, I get it anyway. <laughs> I just let me rub on you a little bit and see if I can get some more of that. And that's why I like going back down to Argentina because some of my friends and mentors are down there. Just getting, getting a little bit of time with them is an adjustment of my perspective and my faith and I come back a little more charged up. Let's uh, move to the third point on the, the process, what we're going to call the process diagram. Really, this is the big picture of when we talk about passing the baton, what in the world are we talking about? And so I want to kind of look at Four big parts of passing on the baton in terms of the faith, and then I'm going to give you an idea of what we're particularly going to focus on during this, the rest of this elective. And it's called, sometimes called a process diagram because it talks about four actions or processes or things like that. And the very first one, and they're all based on commands that we've been given in, in the Bible, and the obvious first one that Jesus sent us to the world, John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, 
that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Wonderful, wonderful message. But it's not something that he's written in the sky. He says, this is hand-delivered. I'm going to give it to the people that already have it, and they're going to bring it to you. And that's called evangelizing or sharing the good news. In Mark 16, 15, Jesus said to them, Go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. The gospel, it's a term for good news, the message of Jesus Christ. Go tell everybody about what God has done for them in Christ. When we were in Nicaragua a year ago, and at 10 o'clock at night, walked into that hotel there on Ometepe Island with the evangelist Carlos Anacondia, the owner of the hotel met us at the door. And as far as I know, not a Christian German background. And we've been at that hotel many years, I think. And I don't know that anyone else had had, uh, I don't know what kind of conversations there had been. But he comes out and greets Carlos Anacondia and says, we're so proud to have you at our hotel. And he says, and I've been a very bad man. He says, I am such a sinner. And Carlos Anacondia says, stopped him. He says, no, let's not talk about that. I'm here to tell you how much God loves you and what he's done for you in Jesus Christ. And he led him to Christ. Go and tell. People need it. The next day, his dinner was on the table getting cold. And I looked around, well, where is he? I always like my dinner hot, you know, so spiritual, unspiritual. And uh, he was over. He had the seven ladies that changed the bed linens all together, standing over there sharing Christ with them, leading them to Christ. And they said, oh, one of us, one of the girls couldn't come. She's over. Was there any way you could go tell her as well? And later on, he was telling us, he said, he says, we don't do this. This is just something that God is doing. I'll send my helper to go buy a ticket at the counter, and the person behind the glass window will begin to weep and say, can you tell me about God? What a wonderful thing we have with the message of Jesus Christ. Never be ashamed of it. Maybe somebody's not ready to hear it. It's okay, but be ready to say, be ready to share it if there's an opportunity. It's wonderful. Don't let the world muzzle you. And there are things you can learn where that, that will fit you. There's that story about that cute little man in the streets of Sydney that for years and years would just go up to people on his lunch hour and stop and say, can I have just a second of your time? If you were to die tonight, you know where you'd spend eternity, in heaven or in hell. Thank you very much. He'd leave. That's all he said. He did this year in and year out for like 20 years. And one man walked away from that sort of shell-shocked, like, what was that? But he, he couldn't get away from that question. And he began to investigate, eventually gave his life to Christ, and shared his testimony 10 years later at a church. And somebody else comes up and says, the same thing happened to me. That's how I became a Christian. And over the next 10 years, he met... Uh, about two dozen other people in different parts of the world, because he was a businessman, that had come to Christ that same way. And one day he was back in Sydney. He says, I wonder if he's still doing this. And so he goes out to this intersection. He says, can't be. I mean, it's been 20 years. And standing there, and all of a sudden, here's this little old guy. He's a little older now, coming up to him. And get, and says, can I have an ammonia? And he says, wait, let me tell you. you know? So he tells him the whole story. And the man just begins to weep. He says, I was ready to give up. He says, I felt so useless all these years. I stumble so much with my words that all I can get out is about one sentence. And after these 20 years, I thought, I am so useless. God just can't use me. And I can't say any more than this. And he says, I was just going to give up. But God sent someone back to say, oh no, God's using me. Don't you want God to use He's ready to. Our Father is working. He's already doing it. He says, come on. It's going to be wonderful. Sharing our faith. Evangelizing. Leading people to Christ. But it's, it's not enough to stop there. When a person comes to Christ, they're, as far as Christianity and things, they're like a baby. They Maybe someone gave them a Bible. Maybe somebody didn't give them a Bible. They... Don't, maybe don't know anything about praying. They may be facing certain temptations. They may be in situations that 
are really difficult for them. They may have come with some a lot of scars and wounds. They may come with bitterness. They may even come with some spiritual problems, demonic problems, health problems. But more than anything, they, they need a friend. They need somebody that knows a little bit more and will be mother hen, you know, kind of take them under their wing, care, care about them. Otherwise, they just kind of wander into this big crowd of the church and they're feeling kind of, I mean, a lot of you have been there, you know, you, you, that first time you kind of walked in like a wet chicken, you know, and says, are they going to have me here? I, I may not be their kind. Uh, and so this process of establishing uh, somebody that's come to Christ, a convert, Colossians 2, 6, and 7, one of my favorite verses. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord. How did you receive Christ Jesus the Lord? Did you work hard for it? And to ask. By grace, through faith. He says, that, isn't that how you came in? By grace, through faith. Oh, sure. No other way. He says, okay. As you therefore have received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. You received him by grace, through faith. So that's what you're supposed to do now. You're supposed to continue in that same vein. It's not as though you're receiving by grace through faith, but now you better will behave yourself or else we're kicking you out of this thing. He says, no, no, no. You, that's the way you came in and that's the way you stay in. It's by grace through faith. And then it goes on, having been, having been firmly rooted and now being built up and established in him. Two very different figures, a biological one and a construction one. Having been firmly rooted, you get the idea of these things growing down, you know, and then uh, being built up and established, and you got the idea of bricks and mortar and all of that going up. Strange, sort of a strange contraption there, roots and bricks. But anyway, but the whole idea is it's not going anywhere. It's solid. Just as you were instructed, and overflowing with gratitude. And so in this period of time, that, that process of establishing, you're trying to bring a person to being a disciple of Jesus Christ. Now, one of the other weeks, we're going to talk about more specifically, well, what does that person need? This is that we're doing, like I said, we're the big picture here. So we're not looking in all the shop windows in the map. We're just looking at the main highways. But this is the process of establishing the person. And what we're really looking for here is that they know how to walk with Jesus Christ. It's about Jesus Christ. It's not about being religious. I mean, sure, if there's a dress code at the church, we're going to tell them so they won't be embarrassed, whatever it is. Yeah, don't, you know, at the 423, we just don't do ties. You know, just take it off, put it in your pocket, come on in, take off your shoes, whatever. And, and maybe if it's the 11 o'clock service and you have something, you know, just a tank top or something or whatever, we might, we might just clue him in. But not that it's that important, but just trying to let him know all the different things that might help him feel more comfortable and find his place in the larger body of Christ and also in a small group. Teach them how to read their Bible. Teach them how to confess sin. I remember one friend of mine that had become a Christian. I saw him. Uh, he'd, been, he'd been a Christian about two weeks. And I saw him and he said, I'm feeling awful. And I'm thinking, oh, rats, you know. Here he's supposed to, maybe, you know, maybe it didn't take. And he explained to me, you know, that he just felt like he was doing so many bad things. And I says, oh, that's wonderful. He said, that's wonderful? I said, yeah, that means the Holy Spirit's in your life. I said, this is really good news. And so he cheered up. And uh, But we did so many things together. He was from Holland, and after about two months, had asked Christ into his life. And then we were roommates, and he was the best man in my wedding. He's one of my very, very best friends. But we did all those first things together about how do you, how do you read the Bible and What's the difference between the Old Testament and the New Testament? All those things are good to, good to eventually know. Took him to church with me. And teach him about attitudes and fellowship and forgiveness. But all the basics of the Christian life. A lot of times people say, no, no, we want to get on to the advanced things. And I feel like so many times with, with Christianity, we're trying to build a basketball team and we've got the gymnasium. We've got the plans about wh where the plays are going to move. We've got the players each where you're the guard and this and that and the other. But the, the players can't dribble and shoot. 
but we're buying them great sneakers. They got the cutest little shorts and everything, but they can't dribble and shoot. We can't accomplish anything if they can't dribble and shoot. No, but we've got a really good plan, a really better play now. It doesn't matter. You've, you, the basics are always basic. Show me a Christian that doesn't pray, and I'll show you a Christian that God cannot use, not the way he wants to. As someone said, don't be discouraged. You can always be used as a bad example. But, I mean, we, <laughs> our ambition is a little higher than just say, well, don't be like that. I mean, there's always some of that, but... Uh, but if God gives you the chance of being with a newer Christian, because we're all kind of new, God's the ancient of days, so we're all freshmen as far as he's concerned. <laughs> but if you're given the chance to help somebody, engage. And if they don't want the help, that's fine. But at least you are available, friendly, happy to get with them for some coffee, not lord it over them at all because you've stumbled through all these things and they're probably going to be smarter than you ever were. You know, they just haven't gotten, they haven't been around as long. They're probably going to pass you standing still. That's great. That's your, your dream. You want your children to surpass you. And not that they're necessarily your children, but I mean, uh, younger brother or something if you prefer a different figure. But the idea of establishing, helping the person become established in their Christian life but it doesn't stop there. The next process or activity that God's commanded, this is Ephesians 4, 11 through 12. It says he gave some as apostles and some as prophets, some as evangelists and some as pastors and teachers for the equipping of the saints, for the work of service or the work of ministry, to the building up of the body of Christ. The Especially gifted people that God has given to the body of Christ aren't to go out there and do the ministry and everybody else cheer them on and throw money at them. He says, no, no, no. The, uh, the, the, the pastors, the teachers, they are to equip the saints so that they can do the work of the ministry so that they can build up the body of Christ. It's the sheep that bear the lamb, not the shepherd. And so that's... George's job, my job, if we only help you become established, but don't also help you, equip you to help others, we haven't done enough. Because it's God's will to use you too to help people grow in their faith. So what are we equipping them for? Well, we're equipping them to be laborers in the harvest. Jesus said the harvest is plentiful, but the laborers are few. Because there's plenty of work to be done. People all over the place that want help, need help. But everybody's off doing their own thing or don't know what to do, would like to, like to be helpful, but no one ever showed them how to do it. No one ever did it with them. They're all sort of orphans, and no one really knows how to be a dad. And so it's sort of like, go fend for yourself, uh, sort of like the hazing, you know. Uh, I had to learn the hard way. you got to learn the hard way. No, that, this is the body of Christ. This is, it's different here. And so to equip these disciples, not just to walk with Christ, well, we're delighted that you've come to know the Lord and you've, you're doing well in Him. That's not enough. You've got to give it away. And so we equip them in, in what? We equip them in how to share, how to do those first two things. Help this disciple say, well, what could we do to try to reach out to your neighbors? Maybe we could have a coffee or a little Bible study or do a course. There's an Alpha series and we could put on these videos and see if anybody would come. I mean, maybe nobody would come, but at least you tried. We had an evangelistic Bible study at the University of, Georgia, uh, University of South Carolina for six weeks. And I invited 20 people. Of course, they all said they'd come. Four weeks, nobody came. Two weeks, one person came and one the same person. So I was not very encouraged, but at least you're trying. And uh, so as you work with someone, thinking about ways that you could equip them to be able to share their faith. They could learn how to share their testimony. They could learn how to do a simple illustration that explains the gospel of Jesus Christ. They could maybe learn a verse. There's a, a, a little drawing of how you can share the gospel using just one verse out of the Bible, just drawing different things out of Romans 6, 23. And you can look it up online. It's all, and you can do it on a napkin. It's handy. It's little. It's, uh, you could do it any, at any restaurant. With, except with cloth napkins. And, and then teaching them, how, well, how do you, if somebody does come to Christ, I mean, you get a fish, so to speak, 
well, what do I do with it now? You know, it's, it's on the end of the pole. Says, well, this is how, once you've caught, caught the fish, so to speak, this is what you do with the fish. And so they're, you're, they're learning to be fishers of men. And then once uh, someone does respond, my son had the chance to lead a, a girl to Christ when he was in Germany last year. She's Hungarian. And they studied the Bible for four months at her request. And then one day she told him that two weeks before she'd asked Christ into her life. He said, really? And, uh, and so then he worked with her to teach her how to read her Bible and pray. And, and with, by the time he left, about three months later, she already knew more about her Bible than the pastor's daughter at the church that she started attending. That says more about how little she knew. But anyway. <laughs> so to help those followers of Christ be equipped to help others come to Christ, and grow. Now, isn't that simple? As far as just the big idea. And then the final process is the process of engaging. Acts 1.8, but you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Engaging, helping that person find their particular niche in the body of Christ. Because even though the gospel is the same for everybody, the basic elements of the Christian life are the same for everybody. And learning how to help others is a lot of similarities. But in this last phase, there's a lot more uh, specialization, if you want to call it that. Some are really called to children, children's ministries. Others are called to a teaching ministry. Others are service, congregational care. There's so many different kind of avenues. Some people are very, very shy, but they might be very, very talkative on the Internet. And so there, there are situations where you can share the gospel in a chat room. Who knows? There's so many different ways that God might choose to use somebody. But don't you see how much more useful they are now? If they've truly been born again and come to know Christ, if they've been established in their faith, they love the Lord, they're reading their Bible, they're praying, they love talking with... and They're now equipped, so they like sharing their faith if, if that opportunity comes up. And they love helping people uh, learn how to walk with the Lord. And so now you've got, I mean, wouldn't you like some more people like that in whatever ever area of ministry you're in? I mean, that's, a, that's, a, that's what the Bible calls a laborer. Somebody that has the heart and the ability and the character to be a glove on the hand of Jesus. Not because they're anything special. What's special about a glove? You know, you can get gloves really cheap. These throwaway gloves. What's special is the hand that's in it. Like these surgeon gloves. It's maybe, I don't know, 50 cents for the glove and uh, $5 million for the surgeon. Uh, Jesus is the, is the big ticket item, you know. We're just the glove. But to get to be on his hand and to let him use you to change the world. The clock is ticking. Someone once said, you know, when you were born years ago, your heart started beating there in your mother's womb. And it's been beating all these years. And it finally comes to a place after 50, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years, the day is coming when it's going to stop. It's going to all be over. But if you're sitting here tonight, you still have some time left. You have some time to touch lives. And if you still say, well, I don't know how to do it, that's, that's a fine problem. That's a fixable problem. The problem that's difficult to deal with is, I don't care, and I don't want to. But I imagine you want to come to the class if you're in that category, so I think we're doing great. Now, I want you, well, last point here, I just want to notice that too often in the church, the bottom half of this is chopped right off. A person comes in the church, receives Christ, or in the new members class, finally figures out, oh, that's what it's all about. And uh, it says, yeah, okay. So they come to Christ, and then they, they do their time coming and sitting and watching. And then someone approaches them and says, we need you to usher. We would like your help with the four-year-olds. Uh, we would like you to go to a teacher training class, whatever. And then they put them to work. They give them a job. What's missing there? Well, the whole ha bottom half. Do we even know if they're reading their Bible? Do they pray? Have they ever shared their faith? Could they? If God says, here, I'll just make it a real easy, I'm going to give you somebody, and they're going to say, how can I become a Christian? I, say, I don't know. I said, 
and he's been in the church 20 years? I'm sure it wasn't that, that we were offering. He says, no, no, don't tell me. I don't want to know how to share my faith. No, it's that we probably could have been a little more intentional about teaching him how to do that. So that eventually, ideally, everybody that's a deacon, that's an elder, and that's been in the church 10 years and, and is, or is in some kind of a position, in addition to whatever their specialty is, they also know how to help people. Come to Christ, grow in their faith, not because they're anybody. It's just what we do. It's part of being alive in Jesus. And that's how we pass the baton. And I assure you, of all the things you do in your life, and I don't know what your recreations are uh, as far as uh, physical recreations or mental recreation of reading. Uh, I don't know what, what, what satisfies you at your job or with your family. But there is no greater joy than passing on the baton of Jesus Christ to your children, to your loved ones, to the people God brings in your life. The Apostle Paul says, I have no greater joy than that my children walk in the faith. And I promise you, joy is waiting for you. As you trust God to take you and use you in spite of you, And to make the part of you that you think, but if it weren't for this, he says, oh no, that's the special part about you. I kind of like that. Because, uh, because that's there, I'll get more credit in your case. So don't, don't worry about that part. He says, I, I, I've, I've noticed that. But that's, we're working on that. Well, let's close with a word of prayer and thank God and look forward to the day when everyone here will be able to say with Paul, I have no greater joy than my children walk in the faith. Lord, thank you tonight that we can talk about the big picture, about the importance of being with Jesus, us being with Jesus, and then bringing other people along with us as we go through different times of our life and experiences that we could pass on what we have learned about you. Not that we know that much, but we certainly don't need to hoard what little we do know when it could be helpful to another. Help us, Lord, with this network of relationships. Some of us are really isolated. And we really need your help, Lord. It's not the kind of thing we can just go out and engineer. We need your help, your guidance. And finally, on this last big picture of evangelizing, establishing, equipping, engaging. Lord, we were made to do this. We were born to do this. We shouldn't look at this and say, that's calculus and I'm not a mathematician. This is just life. This is spiritual life. And we were born to reproduce. And I pray that you would make it so in our lives as we trust in you and receive your power and your promise. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us on Bringing Truth to Life. If the message has encouraged you, please subscribe and give us a review. This helps more people find our podcast. We hope you'll join us again for the next podcast of Bringing Truth to Life.